Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. Paul is speaking here to the church in Ephesus from, from jail, and uh, he is speaking to you and I as well when he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage. We pray that you would teach us, guide us, convict us. Mold us into the image of your Son a little more every day. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Today we continue with our series in the book of Ephesians. Today we're in chapter 5, and today's message is entitled, The Fruit of the Light. The Fruit of the Light. If you'll notice, and I read this probably 10 times before I even actually noticed the term there. It's in verse 9. It says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. I find that a fascinating term, the fruit of the light. I want to begin today by giving you a quick reminder about fruit, and then we're going to look at this verse uh, in some detail. Uh, but he says in this passage that we are light in the Lord, and we are to live as children of light. And then he tells us what the fruit of light is. It's that word fruit. What does he mean by fruit? What is fruit of the light? I, I like the sound of the term, but what exactly does that mean? Well, whatever it is, you and I are supposed to bear fruit. As I've told you many, many times over the years, John chapter 15, verse 16, in the last day of his life before he is arrested and would be drugged into four mock trials and then crucified, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. That's John 15, 16. And so here Jesus is saying <coughs> that I chose you and I chose you for a purpose. If you ever wonder what your purpose is, your purpose in life is found in Christ Jesus and him alone. And his purpose for you after coming to him is that you and I go out and bear much fruit. You wake up every day. Days turn into months, months turn into years, years turn into decades. Yesterday I was 16, today I am 57. Wow, life goes by so, so quickly. I had a birthday this week, I'm not happy about it. <laughs> Turned 57. And you know, you're, you're pushing, you know, you can only cling to the mid-50s terminology for so long, but in three years I'll be 60 years old. Oh my goodness, wow. Uh, uh, okay, all right, where was I? <laughs> life goes by very quick, and here's the question. Is your life counting for anything? Are you really bearing any fruit in your life, or are you just waiting the days until you die? God doesn't want you just waste life. He gave you a life for a reason, and he desires for your life to matter. And it matters through bearing good fruit for Christ. So he tells us whatever fruit is, Jesus says, I have chosen you and appointed you to go and bear good fruit. Fruit that will last, that's good fruit. There's a verse that I have on the lobby. If you have been in the lobby very many times, surely you know it by now. 
as I think about what is the one motto I want for the church, I thought about all kinds of clever words, and then I decided that the Bible was more clever than anything I could come up with. And as I think about, as a pastor, what do I want our church to do more than anything? What do I want to accomplish here in this ministry? And so that's what ended up on that fireplace, uh, that 23-foot tall fireplace in huge letters. I have John 15, 5, where Christ says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's in our lobby. That's on our website, right at the top of our website, right by our logo, the name of our church. I have John 15, 5. I believe it is the heart of what we are to be and who we are to be as God's king, uh, part of God's kingdom as this church and as a, our families and as individuals that we must bear much good fruit. So what is fruit? That's the most important for believers. That is the most important question. Because you'll never bear fruit if you don't know what fruit is. And perhaps more importantly, you'll never bear fruit if you don't know what fruit isn't. Because there are, and I say this every time I come up with the, or I mention these passages, that there are so many things in this world that the world will tell you is fruit, but really isn't fruit at all. It's just a waste of time. And sometimes it's just outright sin. And Jesus is sharing these things, as I told you, he's about to be arrested, and he saw the fruit of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the preachers of the day, and he saw how they claimed to be fruitful in their life, but in fact, their hearts were dark, their thoughts were evil, they were in it for themselves and not for the glory of God. Uh, they were full of pride and not humility, and as he saw this emptiness in their life, you can equate it to fake fruit or bad fruit. And uh, so what causes bad fruit? What is bad fruit? What is, what is fake fruit in our world? People who pretend to be righteous, and I see it every day on the news and on television and online, people pretending to be righteous, and they're so angry in their righteousness when really they're just deep in sin. What they call righteousness, God will call sin. What, what is fruit bearing in your life? Well, in our churches, we can also bear fruit that is not good, that's not real. We can bear fake fruit. I've pastored four churches in my ministry, been here for 23 years, but there were three churches before that. I'm that old, four churches, and over that time, I, I recognize this occasionally in our churches that we weren't bearing good fruit, we're bearing bad fruit, or sometimes we just simply weren't bearing fruit at all. We're just existing. I've been a part of churches where we just had meetings all the time, all kinds of meetings, church meetings, committee meetings, 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 but there wasn't much ministry going on, just a lot of meetings. I've been a part of churches and I've been in churches where there was this judgmental and self-righteous attitude among the church. I've been in churches where they were obsessed with specific doctrines and that was their thing. That one doctrine is all they thought about, all they talked about. And their identity as a church was focused on that obsession of that one doctrine. Remember, the Pharisees were experts. They were theologians. They knew the Bible. They memorized large blocks of it. And yet in all of that brilliant theology, their hearts were empty and their lives were fruitless. So how do we bear fruit? Well, I'm going to give you 
just I think it's five uh, things this morning, just real quickly, and then we're going to get back to the passage. You bear for, and I've told you these before, and I'm, they're, they're my motto as a church. This is our goal. If you want a vision for 2021 and 2022 and beyond, here it is right here, God's vision for our church. Number one, we bear fruit through worship. We bear fruit through worship. And all of these are right out of the New Testament. Do, just do a word study of the word fruit and you'll find these. Hebrews chapter 13, that great chapter in Hebrews, verse 15 says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Now, anytime you see the word sacrifice, we're talking about worship. This is our act of worship. Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice, sacrifice of praise. The fruit of there's the word, the fruit of lips that confess his name. When you come in here on Sunday mornings and you worship God, if you're worshiping with all your heart, you're singing with all your heart, or some of you maybe just making a joyful noise with all of your heart, that, that is worship, that is fruit bearing. God considers that fruitful. Your time here is valuable. It's worth something because you're worshiping your God. The fruit of lips that confess his name. And then in verse 16, the next verse says, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So our fruit of worship begins here, but it doesn't stop here. He says, go out and do good to others uh, and to share with others. With such sacrifices God is pleased. So we bear fruit through worship. Secondly, we bear fruit through our attitude. We bear fruit through our attitude. I would say that your fruit starts with attitude. And then it immediately grows into behaviors. In Galatians chapter 5, 22, that famous fruit uh, verse or passage, Paul gives us a list of what he calls the fruits of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You don't have to worry about breaking the law by doing these things, is what he's saying. These aren't bad things. They're the opposite. They are the good things. Notice every one of these has to do with our attitude. Peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They all had to do with our, our, our character and our attitude that we have. Paul also calls these the fruit of what? The spirit. Not the fruit of you, the fruit of me, but the fruit of the Spirit. That is, these attitudes and these qualities don't come from us. They come from the Spirit of the living God, alive in us if we're believers in Christ. And so you may be looking at that list and go, well, I don't know who he's talking to, but that's not me. Uh, well, through the Spirit of Christ, through the Spirit of God, it can be you, it is you. You just may not realize it yet. Number three, we bear fruit through evangelism. We bear through fruit through worship, through our attitudes, and through evangelism. Now, that, that was hinted at in the previous passage in Hebrews that I mentioned to you, but also in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, among other passages. Paul says, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Remember the word truth. We'll get to that in just a minute. But here he's speaking about the gospel of Jesus Christ bearing fruit. People are getting saved. People are being transformed. People are coming to Christ. And that is a part of what we do, an essential part of what we do. Bear fruit through evangelism. 
For First Baptist Church, our turnaround time, when I came here in 1998, 1999, and 2000, God really began to move in the life of the church. Not that he didn't before I got here, but we saw a change. The more we started doing ministry and started doing missions, especially outside of our walls, we went to the Philippines for the first time, we went to Mexico, and then later we ended up going to uh, Navajo Indians in New Mexico. And as we began to do those ministries and those mission trips and leading people to Jesus Christ, God began to bless the church because we were fruit bearing. We've had a pandemic that will not be an excuse on Judgment Day. First Baptist Church, we have enough members here. We have enough facilities here. We have enough ministries here. and We have enough worship here for you and I to collectively work together to make a difference in Azle, Texas, to bring salvation to so many homes. It's not just for us to come here and have a good time and enjoy the music and enjoy the preaching and and, and feel better about our life and about ourselves. It's about taking the gospel of Jesus Christ into the homes around us in this community and in this area and throughout the world. We bear fruit through evangelism. Number four, we bear fruit through love. I mentioned it a while ago, or God's word mentioned it. I don't know if you noticed that in one of the passages. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. But John chapter 15, again, in his last discourse in verse 16, where Jesus said in John 15, 16, where he said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, as I shared a while ago. But the next sentence is this, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. So right in the context of mentioning fruit bearing, Jesus then realizes, hey, I need to make it very clear, if you're gonna be fruitful, you're gonna have to be loving. There's no hateful fruit. That's not good fruit, at least. You can't bear good fruit through being unkind, through being indifferent, through being unloving. So this is my command, he says, that you love each other. Number five, we bear fruit through our actions. We bear fruit through our actions. We bear uh, fruit through our worship, our attitudes, our evangelism, our love, and our actions in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That is, God created us, he redeemed us through Christ, and he redeemed us so that we'll be good for something. I always say this, if it weren't for this, God could just call us home the mo moment we accept Christ as our Savior. That should be the last beat of our heart. Mission accomplished, we're saved, we're redeemed. Our eternity is in heaven, our destiny is there. Why not just bring us there immediately? Well, because God has a purpose for you and I here once we're saved. And what is that purpose? To do good works, part of which is evangelism, as God prepared in advance for us to do. He already knows what he wants you to do. He already knows. Whether you know it or not, God knows. He's already planned ahead. And we need to find that out and do that. I'll get to that again in just a minute. So I'm constantly asking the question to myself and to my staff, what is our church doing? What are we doing here that actually bears good fruit? And so we looked at the ministries of the church and the things that we do to, together, those events that we to do, and those things that we spend money on out of our budget, 
are those fruit bearing? And if they're not fruit bearing, we get rid of them and we're always looking for something else that will be more fruit bearing because God will expect and does expect us as a church to bear good fruit together. He's blessed us so much. And so we must do that. Now, our passage for today is in Ephesians. Understanding that's what fruit is in a nutshell. That's what fruitfulness is. Back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, where Paul says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Now, let me stop right there and just say, I love how he phrases this. He didn't say you were once in the darkness. Now, there are passages in the Bible that talk about that. Or now you are in the light. That's not what he actually says here. You were once darkness, and now you're light. Now, you and I know that Jesus is the light. It is Christ who shines through us. But when we are in the darkness, when we are in this dark world of sin, and we are lost to Christ, we are in darkness so much that that is how we identify ourselves. We are identified with darkness. We're so saturated by it that we identify with that naturally. And when we come to faith in Christ, as we identify or God changes our identity and now we are living in the light, the light of Christ shines through us and we are actually identified not as just being in the light, but as actually being light. You were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. I just think that's beautiful. And then he says this, live as children of light. And then he says, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Those three simple things today in this passage, the fruit of light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Well, you, you, you probably close up your Bible and go home right now because you know what those things mean, but you might be surprised. The word goodness here, oh my goodness, there's the word. We use that word all the time. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. I, I'm amazed. Ladies, bless your hearts. You had your week last Sunday, so I'm going to get you right now. Your baby throws up, puking everywhere. And you say to the baby, in a baby's tone, goodness, goodness, oh, goodness. Now, men, we're thinking, Stop. <laughs> Isn't it odd that we use that word in that way? Goodness, what's good about that? It's making a mess everywhere. Goodness. What is goodness? Who decides that? Uh, it may well be the greatest failure of our nation in this time, in this age. It has forgotten the source of all goodness. You know, our country does things and allows things that would get you executed in another country. And those countries do things that would nearly get you executed here. Because every country and every nation and every culture seems to have developed their own idea of what goodness is. Who's right and who's wrong? Well, I can tell you there's only one good and that is in God and Him alone. And apart from God, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, it is not possible for this world to truly understand what is good and is not. My daughter's here today. She's leaving in a couple of weeks to go to basic training. She's in the Air National Guard. She signed on or swore in over a year ago, and then the pandemic hit. So finally, our military is getting back on track, and I hope, and uh, she's going to basic training 
So be praying for her and pray for mom and dad. We're going to have detachment issues probably as she leaves. I remember it was just a very short time ago. She was five years old. We were sitting in the mall, and we were in the food court of the mall. And in the food court, those, those wicked people in the mall had put a candy store right in the middle of the food court. She saw that perceptive little five-year-old, and she said, Daddy, can, can I get candy? Can we get candy after? Do you remember this? I do. She said, Daddy, can we get candy when we're through with lunch? And so I, like any good parent, said, well, if you're good. I said, are you, are you being good? And she, without a moment's hesitation, looked at me and said, oh, Daddy, I'm very good. What she meant, of course, is her assessment was that she was good. But our governments aren't any more wise. They're not any wiser than a five-year-old in determining what is good or not. Only God knows what is good because only God is good. The second thing he tells us to do is, is righteousness. The, the second fruit is righteousness. Righteousness is just a theological word that means rightness or on the right path. We get that from passages like Psalm 23, that famous psalm that David wrote. And he said, as a sheep, God leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you remember that part of it? And when he says he leads me down paths of righteousness, speaking as a sheep, he simply is saying his shepherd, God, is leading him down the right path. That's what rightness is. That's what righteousness is. It's, it means being on the right path. It is not something that we use as a weapon or a tool to beat people up with. It means that we are on the path. And you are responsible for your path. I'm responsible for my path. Now, there is a right path for everyone. It is the same path. That is to bear good fruit and surrender to Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart in the resurrection. But it is our path to say that God leads us down that right path. That's what righteousness really is. And again, in our world, there's fake righteousness because they don't understand true righteousness. Fake righteousness is self-righteousness. And we are so self-righteous. Oh, we're good at it. You, me, our country, our world, everybody's self-righteous. We are so self-righteous. When I'm on the, on the interstate and somebody cuts me off, I, my self-righteousness just, whew, wow, fills the car. Um, we are very self-righteous, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about being on the right path. I want to read an excerpt for you this morning. This is out of The Applause of Heaven by Max Licato. He says this about two characters in the Bible, Sarah and Abraham. It's called the kingdom of heaven. Its citizens are drunk on wonder. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And then he says in this illustration, consider the case of Sarai. She is in her golden years. This is back in Genesis. She's in her golden years, but God promises her a son. She gets excited. She visits the maternity shop and buys a few dresses. She plans her shower and remodels her tent, but no son. She eats a few birthday cakes and blows out a lot of candles. Still no son. She goes through a decade of wall calendars and still no sun. So Sarai decides to take matters into her own hands. 
Maybe God needs me to take care of this one, she thinks. She convinces Abram quite easily that the time is running out. Face it, she says, Abe, you ain't getting any younger either. She commands her maid, Hagar, to go into Abram's tent and see if he needs anything. And I mean anything. Hagar goes in a maid. She comes out a mom. And the problems begin. Hagar is haughty. Sarah is jealous. Abram is dizzy from the dilemma. And God calls the baby boy a wild donkey, an appropriate name for one born out of stubbornness and destined to kick his way into history. It isn't the cozy family Sarah expected, and it isn't a topic Abram and Sarah bring up very often at dinner. Finally, 14 years later, when Abram is pushing a century of years and Sarai is 90, when Abram has stopped listening to Sarai's advice and Sarai has stopped giving it, when the wallpaper in the nursery is faded and the baby furniture is several seasons out of date, when the topic of the promised child brings sighs and tears and long looks into a silent sky, God pays them a visit and tells them they had better select a name for their new son. Abram and Sarai have the same response, laughter. They laugh partly because it's too good to happen and partly because it might. They laugh because they have given up hope and hope born anew is always funny before it's real. They laugh at the lunacy of it all. Abram looks over at Sarai, toothless and snoring in her rocker, head back and mouth wide open, about as fruitful as a pitted prune and just as wrinkled. And he cracks up. He tries to contain it, but he can't. He has always been a sucker for a good joke. Sarai is just as amused when she hears the news. A crackle escapes before she can contain it. She mumbles something about her husband's needing a lot more than what he's got and then begins to laugh again. They laugh because that is what you do when someone says he can do the impossible. Then God does what he does best, the unbelievable. He changes a few things beginning with their names. Abram, the father of one, will now be Abraham, the father of a multitude. Sarai, the barren one, will now be Sarah, the mother. But their names aren't the only thing God changes. He changes their minds. He changes their faith. He changes the number of their tax deductions. He changes the way they define the word impossible. But most of all, he changes Sarah's attitude about trusting God. Were she to hear Jesus' statement about being poor in spirit, she could give a testimony. He's right. I do things my way. I get a headache. I let God take over. I get a son. You try to figure that out. All I know is I am the first lady in town to pay her pediatrician with a social security check. <laughs> he leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then lastly, he uses the word truth. Truth. What is truth? Well, that's a tough one. What is truth? Truth through honesty? I heard the, the story because we struggle with truth and people telling the truth and be, people being honest in our world, in our business, in our government. Who can you even trust to tell the truth anymore? We say that truth is relative. Your truth may not be my truth. Is that right? Does that sound right? And so we struggle with this concept of truth. I heard the story of two little old ladies who were walking around one day in a graveyard and they came upon a tombstone that was inscribed, Here lies John Smith, a politician and an honest man. Good heavens, one lady said to the other, isn't it awful that they had to put two people in the same grave? 
It's hard to trust people anymore. How do you understand truth? Well, truth always and only comes through Christ. In John chapter 8, verse 30, it says this. Even as he spoke, I love this passage. He, many put their faith in him. This is Jesus as he's doing ministry. Many put their faith in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. As usual, and we do the same thing today, they were thinking politically. And they said, look, I don't see any shackles on my hands or my feet. I've never been owned by anybody. I'm not a slave, so how can you set me free because I'm not a slave. And Jesus said, you don't get it, do you? You are a slave to sin. We are slaves to sin. But God wants to set us free through Christ. That is the truth. I love how he says that. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What is truth? Watch this brief clip. We often hear, the truth hurts, or the truth will set you free, and even you can't handle the truth. Many people are trying to find their own truth, but it's become hard to pin down. We live in a world where there is a desire for everything to be true, but truth, by its very nature, is exclusive. Everything simply cannot be true. In a sea of untruths, truth stands alone it can be violently opposed. It can be ridiculed and mocked. It can be completely ignored or completely forgotten. But it can never be untrue. We have forgotten that our souls long for truth. It is our very sustenance. Every human being has an innate and powerful yearning to know that this life is not an accident and that their own life has purpose and that every single solitary life is intrinsically beautiful because it has been created in the image of Almighty God. That is the truth. And so, truth plods along, slowly and confidently, amidst a world of hurry, chaos, lies, and fear, never wavering from its unrelenting love song about a baby born in a crowded stable who grew into the perfect picture of love and justice as his body was broken and his blood spilled so that the truth of our very existence could be known. Because you are worth knowing the truth. All right, so he tells us that in the passage, truth, what is truth? Now I have to leave you with this. At the very end of the passage, can we go back to Ephesians 5, 8? At the very end, did you notice he says this? Uh, he just kind of, I'll say tacks it in on the end of the sentence. He, he places that last clause there and find out what pleases the Lord. Wow, that's like a life goal he puts right there on the end. And by the way, find out what pleases God. How do we please God? I think that's a fair question. How do you please God? Because if God's happy, you're going to be happy. <laughs> How do we do that? How do we please the Lord? 
It's tough. How do you please your heavenly father? I heard a story once about a, a father. He had a son who was a freshman in high school who went out for track. Now, his son had no athletic ability at all, but the father had been a good one miler, a good miler in his day. He ran track. And so this boy, who was a freshman in high school, went to run his first race. And for this particular race, this particular meet, he was paired up against one other opponent, and he was the best miler in school. So the gun sounded, and the race happened, and he, this boy failed miserably. It wasn't even close. It was humiliating. He was badly beaten. But not wanting to disappoint his father, the boy wrote home as follows. You will be happy to know that I ran against Bill Williams, the best miler in school. He came in next to last while I came in second. <laughs> yeah. It's an old joke. Yeah, you think about it there, okay? Somebody explained it to your neighbor. We do want to please our Heavenly Father, do we not? Now, telling him lies won't be pleasing to him. He already knows. He already knows the truth. He is truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. God knows what pleases God. It's our job to, for us to discover what pleases God and then to do that. Of course, to please God, we have to be like Christ. I want you to see that, that word, find out what pleases God, that term. In John chapter 8, verse 29, it says it this way. This is Christ speaking. He says, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what? What? what pleases him. So the more and more that you and I become like Christ, the more and more pleasing we're going to be to our Heavenly Father. Christ knew what the Heavenly Father wanted. He knew what pleased his Father. And so he would say, be like Christ and do that. David Bernard was an American colonial missionary to the Indians who died at the ripe old age of 29. His diary reveals a young man intensely committed to God. Brainerd once said to the famous evangelist Jonathan Edwards, he said this, I do not go to heaven to be advanced, but to give honor to God. It is no matter where, where I shall be stationed in heaven, whether I have a high seat or a low seat there. My heaven is to please God and glorify him and give all to him and to be wholly devoted to his glory. He said, I don't, I don't do this so I can have a high place in heaven. I'm, and that's not the goal for me. My goal is to please God and to give him glory. So this week, find out what pleases God. And you will find his goodness, his righteousness, and his truth manifest in your life. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this passage in Ephesians chapter 5. We ask and pray that you would help us to see truth for what it is, your truth, that there is only one truth. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a truth, but the truth. Father, I pray that you would help us to be fruitful today in our life, not just going through life with one meaningless day following the next. Just the same routine, the same thing every day. We're not really learning, not really growing in you, and not really accomplishing anything in life. And soon before we know it, we will die, and our life will matter for nothing. But you didn't create us for that. Our lives matter to you. 
So, Father, help us to find the path, that right path where you're trying to guide us as our shepherd. I pray today in the name of Jesus, through your spirit, we would be filled with your goodness. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you this morning, right where you are, to say, God, will you fill me with your goodness? Will you lead me down the right path? Help me to see what truth really is in Christ. Will you say right there where you are, God, make my life fruitful? Because there are a lot of things that you've been doing in your life that are just fake fruit. They may look good on the outside and you may be fooling others, but you know it's empty and dead. And God knows that's not what he wants for you. He wants your life to truly matter, to be truly fruitful. Come to him now and say, God, fill my life with fruit. Help me to be fruit bearing in my life. Make my life matter. If you've not accepted Christ, I want you to know he is the only truth. There is no entrance into the kingdom of heaven, no access to the Father but through him. I challenge you to come down and say, God, I surrender my life to my Savior. I accept that truth first and foremost. Maybe you and your family want to join with First Baptist Church and make this place where where you want to serve him and be fruit-bearing in this place. Or maybe you just want to come and kneel and pray. If God is leading right now, we want you to know this invitation is for you. Would everyone stand? And as you stand and as you pray, no one's looking around. Right now, as we sing, you come.